Welcome to Drinkers, Inc., the least listened to podcast for the food and beverage industry. On this episode, we sit down with Paul Marandino, an old friend who successfully built, ran, and sold a vodka importation company. We talk about the challenges of a startup working with family, as well as all the learnings from just giving it a shot. I hope you enjoy. We obviously work in the beverage business. We work for great employers who uh, allow us to have our own opinions. And we are exercising our own opinions here on this show. And any opinion we have is ours and none of theirs. Jeez, man, work got in the way. Hey, no uh, worries. How are you doing, Declan? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? All right. I'm doing well. Yeah, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Sorry, sorry I'm late. Um, unavoidable team call with Walmart issues that we just got through. So um anyway uh, i'm here <laughs> all good yeah so uh, well I, I blame ryan anyway i i was on here at three o'clock because uh five year guys time because he told me then and and then i i go into the the thing and it says 3 30 and he's like yeah didn't i send you 3 30 i'm like no it still says three on my calendar <laughs> i'm sorry that's yeah. selfish asshole ryan yeah exactly <laughs> so Declan, just to give you uh, uh, an idea, because Paul, I haven't really gone over with Declan too much about, you know, our history and where the conversation would be a, a great thing to have you on for, aside from you being an entertaining individual, uh, was really just to... No pressure, Paul, no pressure. Uh, yeah, so... yeah, I don't know that I'm that entertaining. But... <laughs> so Declan, Paul and I went to college together at St. Joe's. We were safe attorney, oh, pledged together, all that stuff. Um, and Paul, out of school, ended up starting an importation company. Is that basically a brand? It's, it, I'll let him go and I'm explain it. Company. But basically... Uh, an export business. <laughs> yes. Yes. Art, art, art Vandalay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll I'll turn it over at that point before I screw anything else up and and let Paul <laughs> kind of explain the uh you know exactly what he was doing and then we can get into some of the stories of sure. really kind of the the very early startup stages of a brand um especially something that's when you're moving to a whole new city to start it and everything else that comes along with it it's really just the the grind of it all so I'll, I'll, I'll I love that I don't know much about this because this is going to be an even more fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what's funny is it actually starts with Ryan uh, and he doesn't everything. <laughs> well, isn't that right? I mean, we, we were living in the, the same fraternity house and you know, we would have a party or two here and there. And uh, he, he brings over this guy who is driving a, uh, like an SUV Lexus wearing this fancy watch, uh, brings him over to the house one day and we're all like, who is this guy? He's the drug dealer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like what the hell? So, so Ryan's like, yeah, this is a buddy of mine. He's, uh, you know, he started his own company. He's successful. He sold it. Uh, so I, I thought it was interesting. We I started chatting with him initially over a couple beers, and he liked my background because I grew up in Atlantic City, and he was interested in the gaming industry. And all of my summer jobs were in the casinos, and my my father had worked there for 20 years. My cousin was uh, kind of a big shot out in Vegas, uh, running some properties out there, and we developed this kind of mutual business respect. Uh, so. I owe Ryan for the introduction there to, to this individual. Uh, and that's where it all started, where started talking through just his business, how he started it. It was an IT server company. And he was like 16, I think, 
when he initially started it, sold it uh, by the time he was a, a sophomore in college. Wow. I was managing some of the, the stuff in the area. So we had initially just talked through what it might be like to, to start a company, if we are involved, uh, what it might be. And his uncle uh, lives, lived in Ukraine for half the year. So he was Ukrainian. And how, how that started was his uncle owned what I believe was the largest outdoor advertising company in Ukraine. Very right, like the Lamar of Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he wanted a business here in the U.S. And he didn't have one. So his income was still farming from Ukraine. He had a, a friend at a production facility in Ukraine for this vodka that was really growing and, and starting to boom Kiev, but also had been importing or exporting the product out to Russia. And they were ex seeing a big success there as well. So what happened, the uncle essentially came to us or came to his nephew initially. was like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business here in the U.S., you're going to be graduating soon. You know, you've run a company before. How would you feel about uh, bringing a product to the United States, launching it there? It's, it's had success in, in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, they're looking for a partnership. So that's kind of how it all began. Right. Uh, well, interesting beginnings because, I mean, like, if you're a Ukrainian and you can sell vodka to Russians... <laughs> I mean, you know, it's obviously either a very good product or you're an incredibly good salesperson. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think there's somewhat of a, a mutual respect there for the, you know, that region, uh, like Russia and Ukraine, they, they don't have, it's not like drinking Grey Goose or something or right. drinking a French vodka. There's still mutual respect there for uh, that, that particular. The craft. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that was the kind of the origination and how I got involved was they wanted me upon graduation to do sales for them. So, you know, I'm not in the family and I was like, Hey, you know, we have this product. We'd love for you to do sales for it. Well, okay, let's, let's test it first. Let's take it around. Well, Ryan might remember, uh, we actually brought it to the house first <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, Oh, to the frat house? Some of the stuff out, yeah, having people try it, uh, drink it, like, before some of the parties. And, of course, everybody thought it was great because we were drinking that plastic bottle. I was going to say, anything's better than Bankers <laughs> yeah. Club, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, like, you, you guys were drinking yeah. fucking pop-off back then. You know? Exactly. Yeah, it, was, it was absolute crap. So we're like, oh, man, this is, this is cool. This tastes good. Uh, so, you know, not the best target audience to, to first start out with, but – but we certainly you know, had a had a few of them. Maybe got drunk off it a few times. <laughs> yeah, it was probably a big confidence builder. <laughs> it, it, it certainly was. Certainly was. Uh, but I ended up taking it down to Atlantic City to the casinos and tested it out at a with a few different uh, people that own some some bars and nightclubs down there. And they're like, "Yeah, you you got a nice product. It's it's a nice looking product." Uh, got to figure out like the marketing behind it and all that. But that was our initial kind of test phase there uh, down in Atlantic City. So we also did a little bit of testing in Brooklyn in the Russian markets there, had some people try it because we knew that that was going to be a, a big portion of our business if we, if we launched this. Uh, so 
as this was all going on, I'm thinking like, why am I going to graduate and go do sales for, for a company? Like I was majoring in finance, like interviewing for finance jobs. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's got to be more enticing than that. So they ended up coming back after he talked to his uncle and was like, you know what? You're right. We'll make you a one third partner. You don't have to invest anything. He's taking care of all the initial investment, but it's going to be the three of us. We'll be equal partners. And, you know, I talked through it with my family, my friends, but it seemed like a no brainer at the time. Right. So anyhow, uh, that's kind of the origination story. I don't know where you want me to go from here. If you want to you know, talk about what we did from there and how we kind of launched it. Uh, but happy to, you know, wherever, wherever you want to take this. Well, um, Paul, you know, maybe I missed it, uh, or maybe it's, maybe we just haven't discussed it yet, but the brand, you know, the brand itself. Yes. So the product itself was called Mernaya. So it was M-E-R-N-A-Y-A. Okay. Uh, in Russian, it looks a little bit like all my friends thought it said MPAR. So it looks like literally like M-B-P-H-R essentially. Yeah. Uh, but that was the brand. And it had on the side of the bottle, it was, a, it was a nice glass bottle. So very different than a lot of the products that were out then. Like everything was round. A lot of the, um, you know, Grey Goose being popular, everybody was trying to do the, the frosted glass. This was a square bottle and it had little measurements on the side. So the, the slogan uh, or Mernaya, what it means is essentially, uh, it's a it measuring, like by measure uh, okay. is what Mernaya okay. means. So okay. what we came up with was the best vodka by any measure. So essentially utilizing the measurement marks on the side, uh, you know, kind it. of rebranding that for the, for the US market. Yeah. Uh, we went with Mernaya, the best vodka by any measure. So that was our uh, initial launch. And the story behind it traced back to, you know, Dr. Mendeleev and the, the periodic table uh, and how, you know, this was essentially how this product came to be made, traced all the way back to there. So it was, it was an interesting story. We kept that aspect of it uh, just because we thought that was really cool. It is cool. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously ran with uh, that as our slogan initially. Yeah. And there was, there's also a line that you guys had the business class one that was like a, it was, I, I thought that was the coolest thing. It was a black bottle, very similar to the other ones. It was squared off. It was kind of tiered. It was, it was really sharp looking. Um, actually yes. I, I liked it. I, I genuinely liked the vodka um, and it wasn't just, in comparison to, to Pop Pop or Bankers, it was, I thought it was good. I really did for, for all intents. You mean the vodka that you put in the melon that you filled with all the other shit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it, it definitely wasn't our jungle juice vodka. That's, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah. The, the business class was essentially our higher end. Uh, of the, so Mernaya Silver was our standard base product. Mm -hmm. price point was around uh, like what we came up with was around like a Smirnoff type. Like we wanted it, it was an imported product, but we wanted to be at that price point to compete. So premium, but not, yeah. Super yes. Premium, yeah. And then we had a platinum version of the regular Mernaya, which was a, a, few, a few dollars more expensive because of the filtration process, like how it was filtered, how many times it was distilled. Uh, and then the upper echelon of the products was the business class, and that was, as Ryan said, the black bottle. 
the cool thing about it was a see-through black bottle. So you could hold it up to the light and you would you could still see the liquid inside. Uh, we had talked to some um, people that like, hey, if you can't see what you're actually drinking, a lot of people at least want to be able to see inside. So we made sure, sure. that if you held in the light, you could see it, but it also had a thermal lock around it as well. So if you, you know, put it in the freezer and took it out, it would stay cold because of that, uh, the black thermal locker around it. Uh, so that was one of the kind of unique things about that product as well. Very interesting. And did, did, did all of these products like the Platinum and the business all have the measuring, you know, elements yes. inside? Yeah. Yep. So the, the, all are, it's all true to the whole tagline and the branding. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, no, it sounds like a great product. I mean, why have I never seen it? And like, I live in Philly, so uh, maybe I have, you know, but I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, you know, funny about yeah. it. You know, I'm just well, asking like, why don't, why don't I, because it sounds like a product I would buy. Before, before you get into that though, Paul, let's, let's kind of digress a, a minute to, and just kind of discuss the building out of the actual company itself before you were able to actually start importing, you know, some of the learnings you had regarding the different legalities. I know that you had support, obviously, as you mentioned, but you know, what kind of challenges were there as you started to look into something that you knew, you knew nothing about? Duran obviously knew nothing about it as well. How did you guys figure that out and work through that? Uh, a lot of research. And, and I think that's why, so we, essentially started doing this senior year. So a lot of the research I was doing once I knew I was committed to signing on to do this, uh, it was really like going on the internet, reading about, uh, first of all, the competition, uh, the price points of the different vodkas, what's out there, what else is out there from Ukraine, uh, who would we be competing against? And then next step, and how do we actually get this stuff like in the country? How do we get it approved? What do we do about our labels? Like all of these different things. So essentially there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. Uh, the easy part, securing the product to, to import, getting the importing license, like that wasn't that big of an issue. State by state um, approvals and yes. Yeah, like all of that wasn't too bad. And then we also set up our own wholesale distribution in New York as well. So we were an importer and we also were a wholesale distributor in New York. Uh, <laughs> The submissions to the government, to the ATF, that was interesting. Um, so we had within the Mernaya brand, there were, there were seven different lines within Mernaya. So we had the silver, the platinum. We had a liqueur called a rowan berry. We had a honey and pepper, a berry and pepper, a, um, a one called Zubrovka, and an on milk, like uh, one oh, that was actually- I think uh, I've had the Zubrovka actually, yeah. Zub it, you probably have like so the it's a polish a polish but like th that's a big polish uh custom like a vodka that they've produced for the years russian companies ukrainian companies have made a variant of that so yeah. that was actually one of our favorites uh the zubrovka when we submitted them all the zubrovka and the berian pepper actually came back and failed uh we were not allowed to bring them in all others passed well, the Zabrovka, apparently, maybe the reason why we loved it so much, had muscle relaxants in it, and a, 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 there was a little stick in there that was a slight hallucinogen, like, which is essentially like, it was like a piece of grass stick. Uh, yes, so, I, I remember it. I remember it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember so, liking it for probably all of those reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Immediate warmth came over you when oh, you, yeah. when you were mean, drinking yeah. it. Uh, 
Can't so, believe this third of a bottle is making me feel this good. Right. <laughs> and then the the barium pepper had uh, cramp bark in it, which is the uh, a big ingredient in mitol, uh, which is also a painkiller. So right, the, yeah, uh, yes, yes, it's no, great for no period things, apparently, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes. So that was for the female market, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so needless to say, those two were out, uh, but the rest of them all got approved. We then had to, we had to redesign the labels. So once we did that, we had to submit the labels. We ended up, I still remember the guy's name because I talked to him so much. There was this guy named Mike Warren. And uh, I feel like I had him on speed dial because we were constantly calling about uh, follow-ups on labeling. That was a long process. You would think it would be like fairly easy, but I don't know, just the delays and stuff. Maybe they were backed up because there were a lot of submissions. The labeling actually took a while to get approved. Uh, so once we had all of that, uh, the approvals for the products, the ones we could actually bring in, the label approvals, uh, we then you know, had to find a, a shipping company. We had to find a warehouse to, that we were going to keep everything in. So we ended up getting a shipping company out of Kiev. Uh, we used Maersk, their big, big freight company. And yep. we used a warehouse actually in Kearney, New Jersey, uh, where we housed all of our, our product. Uh, so that was essentially the initial launch of it. Along with all of that, you know, the pricing and looking at like, how do we post our prices? What are the New York state laws? Cause we were doing our own wholesale distribution. Uh, Elliot Spitzer was very hardcore on. Oh, he was all stuff. over that shit uh, at that point. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I was with Diageo at that point, Paul. Absolutely. And they were. He was. Ah, okay. We all. I think everybody in our company wanted to shoot that guy at that point in time because he was just. <laughs> in, yeah. Not literally. I, I can't. I can't, <laughs> I, can't speak, I can't speak for Diageo as a company, <laughs> but I can speak for myself as an employee at the time. <laughs> I knew some people from Diageo. We. Uh, we certainly you know, interacted with them. Uh, a lot of, a lot of some of the bigger distributors too, like uh, a lot of guys from Charmer Sunbelt. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing them around a lot. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. So we ended up getting everything posted, price points, all of that. Uh, product ended up getting shipped here. It finally got here the, the fall after I graduated. So that's actually when I moved to Long Island. Uh, I'd never even been to Long Island before, uh, and we set up office in this town called Great Neck oh, yeah. and moved to Port Washington, which was a beautiful area for, you know, yep. you know, if you're 40 and you have a family, if you're 22 and right out of college, yep. there's like not much there at all, to be honest, but picked up shop, moved there. I was actually there for my, by myself for a bit because my partner was still graduating, so ended up launching Launching in New York, we ended up doing a couple of uh, shows just to market our product to other states. So we ended up, I'd probably say at our peak, we were at about 80, 90 clients that we had in New York. And then we were in uh, 12 different states uh, outside of New York. So how, how did you how did you find out about the shows? Just for, shows, for people yeah. to listen and, and things like that. Where did you, for somebody who's new to the industry and everything else, where did you find the shows and all that kind of stuff that you do? magazines like so obviously looking online but subscribe to a few magazines like nightclub and bar magazine yep. i don't even know if that's still one of the oh it's still there yeah 
the big ones, but uh, it's we, John, John Taffer owns that. You know that John Taffer does really the yeah. He runs that whole show. That, that's his magazine. Yeah, we did some business with John back in the day in another company that I started. Paul, oh, that's pretty cool. It's a whole other story, but anyway. Go, yeah, go. nice. Uh, so yeah, that's how we essentially decided what we're going to do. We nightclub and bar. They were doing a show in Atlantic City, so we did one in AC. That was very easy. We all, we flew out to Vegas uh, and did a show out there as well. And that's how we picked up a lot of our wholesalers in other states. Yep. were from those shows. Yep. Some of them, we started small, like with a, a smaller distributor and then like through different connections, attained bigger dist- distributors. I think the most interesting part of it was is that they would then introduce us to distributors from other states. So then we, we kind of developed this network of people and our main target market to start were the Russian markets. Like we had plenty of especially in New York, you know, regular American uh, stores that we sold to where the clientele were people from all over. But our main marketing and even our advertising was very much in these Russian pockets across the United States. So Chicago, Miami, Northeast Philadelphia, uh, Brooklyn, uh, particularly like the Brighton Beach, Brighton Beach area there, uh, pockets of California, uh, like Southern California, so those were, you know, we had other states where we did, you know, some, some volume here and there, New Jersey as well. In fact, New Jersey is an interesting one because we almost secured a deal with Allied Beverage. Uh, oh, that's a good one. And mm-hmm. That would have been great because they're one of the largest distributors in the U.S. And I'll never, I'll never forget this. There was this vodka, which you're probably familiar with, uh, Declan, uh, Reka. You know Reka yes. Vodka? Mm-hmm. Yep. So Reka, uh, got, you know, good for them. They, they, and they're still around. They're doing, it seems like they're doing pretty well. Came out right at the same time and came in with a lot more money than we did and kind of moved in front of us uh, with Allied Beverage. So unfortunately, they kept like pushing our launch in New Jersey out. So we stuck with our smaller distributor that we were working with ended up working with Allied in Pennsylvania with their branch uh, Majestic Wine and Spirits, which does uh, the state control for PA. So we ended up working with Allied in some capacity, but that was kind of a big one that we wish, like looking back, would have been awesome if uh, Allied had picked us up like back then. Yeah, Yeah, totally understood. So what happened with the brand? It's a good question. Yeah, so I learned a a few lessons uh, throughout this, like, we had reached, like how, in, in terms of how we were doing with the product, we'd actually reached our break-even point by year three. So we, were, good. we were doing pretty well. Yeah, that's uh, right on track for a successful company. You know I mean? We had a following, particularly on uh, the Marnia on Milk product. So that was our top seller. Uh, and that was the one, it was actually filtered through powdered milk. I don't know why that was so appealing to everyone, to be honest, like many years later, but we ran with it. Like, and so that was one that we certainly marketed. All right. Lot- let me ask you the question. Like, what was, yeah. the, what was the, what was the difference in flavor to you? You know, I mean, just as a consumer, like, was it, there a notable difference or was it just like a, you know, was it just a, yeah, I don't know, witch's potion kind of thing that you sold off? Yeah, I mean, it was smooth, but like, okay. if you're asking me, was it noticeable or anything like around the milk 
uh, aspect of it or it was but, just a I selling mean, aspect really it's marketing i mean look at gray goose gray goose uh is yeah. a fine vodka right but it, you know it's not right. uh i wouldn't rate it amongst my my favorite vodkas no uh, neither would i it's a you know they, it's just they it, did a hell of a job they, uh, yes so the, the package is, <laughs> is what sells most of it right i mean the long neck yep. the frosted bottle the the see-through aspect in the middle i mean they've done a great job of, of great packaging and and I think, you know, not to digress, but, you know, I think some of the things that, you know, that are, are most impactful for people anymore is, you know, your package is your marketing right now. You know, I mean, for like sure. that is, yeah. And so everybody's spent more, they, you know, over the last 10 years, particularly, I think lots of companies are going deep in the well on like, how do we make this thing look much better than it probably actually is in the bottle, right? Uh, totally. And, yeah, and I think, you know, that sounds like you were on that pivotal moment when people were starting to do that and spending money on that, even though I just love the idea of what you had done initially with the measurements and all that. I would love to see, you know, just some some photos of that um, because oh, yeah. it, it sounds like, you know, you had a, an incredible idea and package and, and tagline that suited it. And so I'm just really intrigued as to why this didn't jump the fence into like, you know, one of the brands that we should all be drinking today. Yeah. And, for sure. and before, before you even get into that, we're going to keep them hanging on. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> God damn it. Now I need to fill my glass. I, I can say that, that there's a whole other aspect to, to all of this. So we have Paul <laughs> who would, who is going through all this stuff, learning new aspects of it, going, figuring things out having to deal with people that he's never dealt with in an industry he's never dealt with. Right. Really kind of navigating all those waters on yep. top of that too, uh, moving to a new city, trying to figure things out. Like you said, he's never been to long Island. I can tell you personally from going up and visiting him. No, hold on, hold on, hold on a fucking second. Let's not get too fucking excited about a guy moving from AC to Long Island here. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's not like he moved to fucking Kiev. You know, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. But moving, moving for a a company that you're just starting in an industry you don't know about, just out of school, it, I'm just it's a little ball. different. And we, uh, I remember going up and visiting him to go out and try and promote things certain nights and everything and us waiting there at the train station sleeping waiting for the train <laughs> to get there because the last train was like 3 45 a.m and you had to get there on the train and get on there you wouldn't be able to get back to the office because we had sleeping bags set up in the office to sleep in because he didn't have an apartment yet yeah so there's a there's a whole other aspect to it that i feel like no, I for people who days. are just starting out yeah exactly like people who are just starting out in the industry whether it's alcohol or non-alcohol it doesn't matter what company you're setting up it's about the process of exactly the you there, go through there's a grind right. to it that yeah. that you can't always explain except for it's you're standing in the middle of nowhere with people who don't speak well, great english taking shots where you're having pickles and pretzels and all this yeah, weird well, you shit. Know, it's and then next to... thing you know, you end up at a, at a train station sleeping and. <laughs> well, come on, come on. Let's face it. Let's face it. I mean, I, I think the people who make it through those times are the people who are just willing to accept what the fuck's going on around them. Right? <laughs> like you just like, okay, well, okay. I'm in a fucking train station right now. And I'm the only one speaking English here. I don't <laughs> care. And I'm in my own goddamn country. Right. Yeah. Like you just roll with it and you just kind of go, well, you know, it's probably going to be different tomorrow. 
you're just going to go, I'm going to have a couple of shots of these people, give them a dose of my vodka and see what happens here, you know, and yeah, that's all you can do, right? Like, I mean, you know, and, and business is the same way. Like if you're setting up a company and you're, you're sleeping in a fucking sleeping bag somewhere because you don't have an apartment yet. Well, that's just shit you have to deal with. Right. Like, and you it's do part of it. because you're, you're, because you believe in it and you're having fun doing it. And, you know, even if you have no money, <laughs> at that point in time you're just like all right i'm going to get through this thing i i know how to get through this thing and you believe in yourself right very true and and everything you said ryan uh resonates and i i remember those times and uh it actually was a i think it was a 3 a.m um train back to long island and if you missed that one it, the next one was five, five. so okay. you, you essentially were getting, five I, yeah you you would get back uh, and it's daylight. Uh, and that happened too many times that, uh, that I'd like to think about, but definitely slept in the office uh, numerous times. We also, since we had Wi-Fi in the office, once we actually got an apartment, we didn't have Wi-Fi at the apartment because that would be pricey. So uh, it was anytime I wanted to use the internet, I had to back over to the office. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, those were fun times. Uh, it was, it was very much like a lifestyle. I mean, I, the fact that I get weekends off now, like, and that I have, because we were, we were marketing over weekends. We were throwing parties. We were doing tastings, yes. uh, you know, that, and, and then don't get me wrong. Some of those things were fun, but we were working and, you know, now I'm in a job where I get 25 days a year plus weekends off. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do with these days. Cause you know, that, wasn't my life uh, but you, you, you know, do podcast you talk about what you did before <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> no, no we, we're uh, doing the same thing man and i think we come from the same kind of we're cut from the same cloth look uh, the way i feel about it i i started working at 14 you know i had a summer job that was like a full-time job i got paid like a dollar an hour <laughs> by the cheapest fucking guy in our neighborhood but i had a job right so I got it. I went there and I did it and I picked up trash and did all sorts of dumb, dumb shit that I probably shouldn't have done for the money. But yeah, I probably, probably did do some shit in the parking lot too that I'm probably not proud of. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that suggestion, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you not on video, Ryan is jerking off right now. So, um, pulling a tube in. <laughs> no, but what I, what I, what I mean is like, you know, I grew up working well first of all i grew up on a farm in the west of ireland so with the family like we had chores every day we had to do shit we had to slop out sheds and like you know that was shit we just did like because it was just stuff you had to do you know uh because you were helping out your family and then you know at 14 like the job was like hey i've got a real job that i actually get paid for even though it's a really shit pay right and did that for a while and then by the time you get to 17 18 you're like four bucks an hour yeah i'm fucking in <laughs> Yeah, let's go. You know, I've been working my ass off since I was seven. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't getting paid. So now all of a sudden everything's incremental, right? Like, so, you know, when you grow up with that kind of work ethic, you just don't stop. Like, I mean, it's hard to, yep. you know, even downtime becomes like, well, what the fuck should I be doing right now? Because I could be doing something else. And, you know, <laughs> you just find a way to think about, you know, doing other things that, you know, it's not all about money. It's about like your willingness to want to do something to improve yourself i think and i think people who grew sure. up with that ethic always have that like and even if it's helping other people or if it's consulting with people who need help or 
you know, that, that can, it's in you and it doesn't leave you. And that's just my point. And I'm going to leave that there, but, but it's, it's important to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the people who are the most successful are people who do the stuff that most people don't want to do, but find a way to enjoy it. It's not like they do it biting their teeth well or anything like that. They just find a way to make it fun. Make it fun. So yeah. with that being said, you have Paul who found a way to make something that might not be enjoyable all the time. He found a way to make it fun, did what he could. They seem to have all the recipe for success. Right. And now we can bless Declan with the question. Yeah. Uh one thing I'll, I'll add in there that I think has been a, an immense part of just my growth in that, in that position, in that business was, you know, at 22 years old, trying to go in and meet with these executives presenting at state liquor control boards and uh, representing not only like my company, but pretending to be just the VP of sales, because if they thought I owned the company, they're going to be like, who the hell is going to do business with a 22-year-old kid right out of college? Uh, so it essentially, a lot of that, and sometimes it was just getting thrown out. You know, I'd show up at a store, they'd be like, get the hell out of here. I'm not interested in your product, like, sorry. And then showing up the next day, and the big, why are you here again? Then you're back the yeah. third day. And it's like, finally, what the hell are you selling? Can you leave the building, uh, please, sir? Yeah, like, <laughs> so, you know, the third time getting them actually to like try the vodka, we'll set up a tasting for you. Uh, so that grind and that like rejection and that perseverance, uh, I think you're not only, only helped me in that industry, but like going forward in my career, that is such like a huge building block of, you know, initially as a kid just kind of getting thrown yeah. out shut down no I'll, constantly i'll draw I'll, I'll draw a parallel paul that's awesome and i i can so resonate with that because when we started pour my beer and one of our previous guests was my partner you know and found co-founder in that business where we started this software company where you could pour your own beer right and that was such a fucking foreign concept to the united states in general, you know, well, why the fuck would you do that? Because, I mean, we have partners, you know, you're trying to put people out of jobs. No, 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 we're not. No, all we're trying to do is mitigate loss and make sure when it's really busy, you know, the bar owners making the maximum amount of money they can, right? Like that's the whole idea here. We're not trying to put people out of jobs. But the first thing we had to do was exactly what you just described was go to each LCB or ABC, whatever the governing body that state was and explain to them why we weren't complete fucking charlatans and why we weren't trying to get all their kids drunk. Right. So, right. you know, and that's basically what it boiled down to is like, you're sitting in front of these people who, you know, I was in my early third, well, third, mid thirties at the time and going into these guys and going, Hey, you know, we get this concept, you know, you can pour your own beer. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Basically was the first reaction we got. Right. I mean, like, that's just, no, I mean, yeah, you know, you were just getting this kind of reaction, like, guffaw, fuck off, you know, and yep. so you're like, well, let me explain this to you in your own terms, you know, and, you know, we had to go through like, well, you know, if you do have a pitcher law in your books, right? Yes, of course, but the bartender serves that. Yeah, but he serves you four pints of beer in a plastic fucking jug. And then you sure go does. sit at the table and you think you're going to, you know, share that with your friends. But that guy can go in the bathroom and drink the whole fucking thing and come right back and go, I need a little pitcher. 
there's no control, right? Like you think you have control, but you don't, right? Like, so that's how yep. we sold it to these guys. We had to go 50 different states and go sell this shit to everybody. And, and I was doing the same thing I think you were doing at the time, which was like, I really don't know how I'm going to sell this, but I'm going to go in here and sell it. <laughs> so there was no other choice. A, yeah, bunch of, yeah. a, a bunch of adults going, hey, you know, I know you have the right to kick me out of your state right now, but I'm here to present like a reasonable argument to you guys because you're what you what you have. And of course, that's even challenging to them. Like, because now you've challenged their picture law. You know, they're like, oh, my God, your law is fucked up. Like yep. now you've challenged what they've done before. Right. Like, so you're, you're the affronting douchebag that's coming in saying what, what you've already done is wrong. You know. Right. So like, like laws change and, and, and how people drink and how they regulate themselves change. And, and that's the thing that I think that, you know, that, that we need to, you know, address is like, how do we reasonably address, you know, the adults who have, are, are in charge and show them that, you know, some of these things we're doing are not as crazy as you think. And, you know, we're, we're trying to bring, uh, you know, choice to consumers in a reasonable yep. way. And you are the one block in front of me getting to my consumer, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess that will lead to what happened. Uh, so we, as I, I said, we had hit our, me over here. Like, come on. You were just on a rant for like 10 minutes, dude. I've been drinking boot shots. <laughs> I got on this wall. What the fuck do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> yeah, Paul, we, we Paul, had. Paul we talked, David moonsh moonshine. Yeah, you yeah. got a nice IPA here. but <laughs> Dude, I've been drinking Bud Light actually because of Paul. Throwback to college. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But we had this guy, David Souk on, who's a great, great guy, guy and everything. He sent us this bottle of moonshine. Declan will show you. It's a, it's like a premium moonshine. It's distilled in charcoal and all this other stuff. It, it's actually really interesting and unique. It's more of a high end, but he found a way to premiumize. You got to hold up higher. There you go. We're a bottle. Yeah, you need a couple of measurements uh, on the side. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, nice. It's pretty cool, but it, it's it's a great product. It's I mean, it's it's bit. unique, but it, it's it's cool because you can make a bunch of different drinks. It's a great base, essentially. <laughs> no, it, it's awesome. It, it tastes delicious. It's really good. I mean, I've got a... he, he was a great guest, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, makes a great product. Yeah. And I, and I go back to my original ask: What the fuck happened with the business part? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, drink a little bit more of my beverage here. So you there you go. To, you better, you better <laughs> that the suspense. Nice, uh, <laughs> nice, nice Trillium IPA. Uh, so, how are you getting Trillium down there? Gallagher. So, one of our buddies in college sent some out to me. Uh, bless him. Uh, it's been, it's been nice having that out here. Shout out to Gallagher. Yep. Uh, okay. Impressive. So we. We were doing pretty well. Is obviously our bestseller. Our advertising was working well. We, we were doing a lot of Russian radio, actually, at the time. It was one of our main platforms. It's cheaper. Uh, we didn't have a, like a huge advertising budget, but it was working. And then you know, we had our 12 states. So what happened was something entirely outside of the business. Uh, and, and that's just another lesson on starting a business and starting a business with family. So my partners, as I mentioned before, were, you know, uncle and nephew. 
began having some issues with each other. I don't, I don't know if I want to get into the exact yeah, you details. Don't, you, don't have to, you, don't, you don't have to get into that. <laughs> so that's personal stuff, but you could just, it's family But what issues. I can say, what I can say is They weren't getting along. It, they were not getting along. Uh, it led to a lawsuit. So I ended up experiencing uh, one partner suing the other one for a mis misuse of company funds, essentially. Wow. Definitely deeper than that, where there were some other things that were occurring. So me, you know, I'm the, at this point, I'm 25, no, 22, but still 25-year-old trying to mitigate between. No, you don't know anything at 25. That, that, let's face that it. Can't, can't get along. No offense uh, to 25-year-olds. No, absolutely not. We're, we're bleeding some money out into legal fees because you know, we're paying, like this, this ended up in, in court. So as this was all going on, our best client in Brooklyn had expressed some interest in getting into the business. So myself and one of the partners who I was getting along with, or who kind of, I wouldn't say I sided with, I was still trying to mitigate, but like, I felt that maybe they were more right. And I could kind of see the writing on the wall for the other partner. We ended up securing them as essentially taking over the company. So we ended up selling the company to what was then our best client. They actually still exist. Uh, if you look up, it's DSR Imports. They're now based out of Brooklyn. They actually specialize in wine now. Uh, so I imagine they sold most of our leftover product that we had. You could still probably find a bottle of Mernaya or business class like here and there. I still personally have some. I know friend, friends of mine do. So Declan, a bottle. you want to try it at some point. Uh, I'll bring yeah, some to you. That. That, you know, that, that's uh, kind of my goal now is to get a bottle of that, you know? But it, it's cool. Like it's a story. I I I made a little bit of money off it. Nothing that uh, you know to, to write home about. But I, at least like felt like I walked away with something. Yeah, uh, but the you experience. Got, I was gonna say you got a good was, education out of it. Yeah, it, I didn't go back to grad school, and I've contemplated. But I, I like to say the the whole process of it was my version of an MBA. Like I really like crash course hey. on life business, relationships, marketing, like everything that, uh, that I could possibly experience. Like I got through that business and after three and a half years, when we, when we walked away from it, uh, it was kind of a slow process. I had moved to the city and I was living in the city and then still at night working my job in the city and commuting out to Long Island. Was, it, was this Long Island city or Atlantic city? No, so this New was York. this I'm was just, New York City. I'm, I'm finally here to, yeah. No, so I was in Manhattan now at this point, working uh, as a recruiter and going out at night to Long Island to uh, do work out there to wrap up the transition of the company. Still make sure our clients were were getting what they needed as we turned everything over. Still getting paid, so I was still paying myself from the business. So it's not like yeah, right. charity, but but yeah, that was kind of the. We wrapped that up and then I moved forward into recruiting. Wine and spirits, I, I, and you were in it, is an interesting industry. Uh, there were some interesting people for sure. Some, some that I'll never forget. And funny story is, and this is relatable news right now. So WhatsApp, obviously a lot of people are leaving WhatsApp and going to Signal because of you know, the security issues. Uh, Signal's very secure. I'm not going to share your information. Right. Well, Signal also, if you when you log into it or someone new joins, they'll literally like pop up. So and so is on Signal. Yep. I've had three <laughs> contacts 
from the wine and spirits days that I haven't talked to in probably 15 years pop up in signal and be like, Daryl Darren is on signal. Like <laughs> the silly is on signal. And I'm like, Oh my God, I remember these guys. <laughs> like, so anyhow, I thought that was just kind of interesting because it came out of nowhere and, and actually made me think of those days. <laughs> no, it's awesome, man. And that's, you know, I'm sure Ryan's talked to you about this. I'm sure as good friends that you seem to be and frat brothers that, you know, this is the reason we started this because there's so many lunatics in this business. And I say that with, with, you know, the utmost of respect and love, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because we love working with these crazy motherfuckers, you know, because they, they make it fun every day. You know, and it, it's a reason that we want to stay in the business. And I hope, you know, that you, you know, even in your current occupation, you still think about those people. And when you see the pop up, you're like, oh, that oh, yeah. guy. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that fucking guy. <laughs> Could I tell you stories about that one? So, yeah, I mean, that's what we love is like we love, you know, these lunatics that we have to, you know, deal with every day. And they, they feel the same way. I think, you know, they, they want this industry to remain unique and different and full of characters because it's, it's our playground, right? Almost like we, we make a living at it and we enjoy it and we, we are professional, but we enjoy fun, you know, almost as much as, you know, as hitting a goal, you know? Um, and they're not mutually exclusive, <laughs> you know, is what I've learned over the years is that, the more fun you can have with some of these guys, the more they're going to help you, right? You know, that, that was my that's been my takeaway over 20 plus years on this side. So what are you doing now? Like, what's, what are you up to? Yeah. So right before I jumped out, one thing I just wanted to, to leave with was the, because you mentioned around like, you know, the relationships you're building, crazy characters. The one tradition that I will never forget was whenever we went into a new client at a bar, and they wanted your product or we're going to maybe try it. You put it down and these were all our, our Russian clients, just shots straight up, no ice, nothing, just, just straight up shots, throwing them back all night conversation. And this was how they decided whether they wanted your product. Right. And then the next morning, how they woke up and felt. If they felt good and they weren't hungover, they'll probably take a few cases. If it's uh, kind of crappy and they're, they're not feeling too great, uh, it was a no-go. So right. that was, and then it, trust me, your tolerance was like through the roof because you're just sipping on vodka. Right? But anyhow, I have, as I said, I moved to recruiting uh, randomly through the, the sale of that company. I just sent my resume to a headhunter and they decided they actually liked my entrepreneurial background, brought me in and randomly the office was right across the street from where my apartment was. So I just took it and uh, thought I maybe might be there for a couple months or so, or I was there for five years. I actually liked recruiting. Uh, and then one of my friends, uh, this was at a, I was at an agency on Wall Street. He had taken a contract at Google and his contract was wrapping up after a year. They were building a new team. He referred me in for an interview, took a job there as a contractor, uh, kept kind of the same hustle from the, the wine and spirits days and uh, secured a full-time position. And I've been there now for eight and a half years. Um, and currently now I'm, I lead what would be our like cloud staffing uh, sourcing arm. Uh, so essentially 
like our passive sourcing space for uh, the technical side of cloud uh, at Google. So wow. well done, man. The, a far cry from uh, the wine and spirits days. Selling, but, uh, <laughs> selling, selling, uh, selling Ukrainian vodka to yes. the new world. <laughs> but you be like, it's it's fascinating, and I've met so many different people at Google that have like these interesting stories like this, or just these unique kind of like hustle grind, uh, especially you- in in my world in recruiting and kind of sales, like just the stories you hear of, of people and you know, how they got to, to Google is, is very interesting as well. Well, you know what? I, I think that some of these companies are very smart because, you know, I, I think quite that there, like I, I threw my hands in the air, you know, on camera, you know, when you said, you know, this was your MBA and literally my good wife, Beth always declares that my experience in starting pour my beer and exit it, exiting it was my MBA right you know i never got it done formally but it probably cost me just as much <laughs> in <laughs> you know time and effort and, and money but you know i i've never felt more bullish moving forward about my ability because i i ran everything you know there with my co-founder and like we learned how to start a business run a business run it on a fucking shoestring um at times like not able to pay ourselves not able to you know not able to pay our staff, having to live through that, having to live through the ignominy of that, you know, and and asking them to stick around and then eventually making good on that, like being good guys, like all the stuff that you have to do, you know, in that environment is just character making, you know, I think. And so companies that recognize that in people um, get the best people because they've been through the fire and, and they know how to be entrepreneurial but, you know, part of, you know, getting that person and paying them a really good salary now is you get all that experience and you would have paid a really good salary to somebody who didn't have that if you had just gone with the resume. Definitely. I, I think it's, it's crucial. It's a great story, Paul. I mean, like, uh, and I certainly, you know, resonate with it. It's, it's, it's an awesome story. So and one of these up? days, maybe uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get back, we'll get back at it. I mean, I, Ryan has remained, uh, certainly in the entrepreneurial space he's always uh, dabbling a little bit here and there and, uh, a little so bit things. that motherfucker uh, needs to slow yeah. down <laughs> but i i do Jen's i do have ambitions <laughs> I'll, I'll die i'll die before <laughs> i'll die doing this stuff i love it it's fun it's it none of it matters that's the best part in the end it doesn't even matter but it's fun that's right and you, you gotta you gotta enjoy it and you know, I don't like what I do, but I found a way to force myself to love it, and I, I I like it. So it might not be what I'm doing on a daily basis, but it might be a little side thing or something else, but that's what it's all about. And the people who have figured that out, you could tell, and I'm sure that Google is a better company because you have somebody like Paul who's been through that stuff, recruiting people, that experience that you have helps you understand those individuals more and helps you look for people more like you. So, you know, I'm proud to have Paul as a friend and I'm proud to know that when I go on the internet and I search shit up, I know that he hired people to help that out somehow. (laughs) Whatever way that takes. You know what, I'm so so sorry our, our... Our listeners aren't on video, so they could see your little jazz hands doing. Yeah, jazz hands. Yeah, it's, it's the cloud. That's the cloud. That's my symbol for the cloud. 
if there's Ryan's an emoji cloud, <laughs> yeah. If there's an emoji for the cloud, it would be like the first What's emoji. <laughs> the emoji for the cloud would be like jazz hands because it's, it's just, just like whatever it is. And maybe that's your next idea. Thank you very much, man. We appreciate. Oh, it's been awesome. Yeah, appreciate Definitely. it.